Hello, my friends, and welcome to the fourth episode of Armor Party. I am your host, Mike Forster. We're still reeling from our last conversation and are thrilled to bring you even more. Before we get started, we have to say thank you to our listeners who have shared and commented and started to grow the reach of this podcast. It's it's truly about the costuming community, and it means a lot to see such a positive reaction to the show, the conversations, and our guests that we have on. We have some more great conversations coming down the line, and I'm thrilled to reveal our guests this week. There are no lies or deceptions, but our deepest dive into the details of building yet. Please do enjoy the show. It's hard to say what her specialty is because she's pretty great at all of it. She rocks costumes from across different franchises, but with seven costumes from Star Wars, she builds them all from the ground up. Her YouTube channel highlights the love, hate, defeats, and victories of costuming with a great sense of humor, and she isn't afraid to pull back the curtain. Coming to us from the Rust Belt of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you may recognize her as Vault Fox, but today we're gearing up with Robin Giel. Robin, welcome to the Armor Party. Hi, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so in full disclosure, we are re-recording this episode because something happened on my end and we're re-recording this episode. So I have to also note that Robin is an absolute champ to do this again with me. <laughs> I just had so much. I honestly had the most, a lot of fun. So it's it's no problem, honestly. <laughs> That, that's a good sign. And now people are going, oh, man, I don't know if I want to commit to Armor Party because I might have to do it twice. So we'll see. I appreciate you sitting down with us again, Robin. You're you're fantastic. Um, so, Robin, give us a little bit of background on your you are a ground up costumer. You are a printer. You are a fabricator. You are all of these things that I you know, there's some people who paint. There's some people who model. But you're you are you build the costumes. So what is your what's your background and what? Give me a little bit more about what Vault Fox is. So uh, my first Star Wars costume that I ever really got into deeply was Imperial Jin or so from Rogue One, and that whole story was it's kind of funny because um, my friend Dell was coming into town back in December of 2016 or whenever that came out. And she was saying like, hey, there's a new Star Wars movie coming out. And I had no interest in seeing this movie because again, as we all said, it was well know. We all know what happens to the Death Star plans. We all know what happens. And, and you know, I was like, why am I going to care about these characters that are, you, they're going to die. And we went to go see that movie and Jen Erso just spoke to me on another level. And that, that was the first time in a Star Wars movie that I saw a character that was me. And I've been a fan of Star Wars for as long as I can remember, but there just wasn't that connection that I had to a specific character until I saw her. And for me, it was that Imperial outfit that she had that I just fell in love with because I love that trope in Star Wars movies. Yeah. I love the, you know, dressing as an Imperial. It's it's just so ridiculous. It shouldn't make any sense. It shouldn't work, but I, I love it. And then the other thing, I know that we talked about this last time we recorded, but I... I grew up on a lot of, um, I don't want to say, uh, like Air Force bases and also 
um, airports because my dad worked for US Air. Yeah. And I was always fascinated with the people that had the batons and would like line the people up into, you know, their gates and all that stuff. So I guess I just really wanted to be an imperial flag downer person for <laughs> something. <laughs> but yeah, it all started with that costume. And I remember getting into all the Facebook groups and the RPF and all that stuff and just kind of Googling whatever I could to figure out how to make that costume. Because at the time, that was back whenever, I mean, I still do foam work, sure. but that's whenever I was really doing a lot of stuff out of EBA foam. And that was kind of my introduction. And it's only gotten more expensive and worse from there I guess. sure sure but well I, lo I love that 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 you re you connect that with being a kid as to the you know the the people who who basically walk the jets in because I think as a kid mm -hmm. we looked at them and we're like those guys have two little lightsabers like those are sweet right so it's yeah. funny that you have that connection and that Jin, of course is that is that character at the end of Rogue One so was that mm -hmm. part of your so, so even if we go back a little bit what was what was costuming for you up until that point? Because if Imperial Jin Erso is your kickoff, Rogue One is your kickoff. Mm -hmm. What what kind of motivated you to be like, I gotta, I gotta build this thing. I'm gonna become this character. Had you had you done cosplay or costuming before that? Um, I had done a little bit of cosplay before that. I init I did Fallout originally. Like that, that was my first costume of character from Fallout. That's why my name is Vault Fox. Like the vaults from Fallout Four and Three. Got it. Um, but I also did a couple gaming cosplays after that, and then they they were always characters that I liked. But I wouldn't necessarily say that I connected with them. They were more like I liked the look of them. Right. And whenever it came to Jenner, so it was like, I want to be her I I see myself in her and it just was some it was a very different feeling whenever I would cosplay her um it to almost to a detriment where I would have people you know like you always have the people that like would like to tell you how much they don't like a character um people would <laughs> tell me like I hate that character that you're cosplaying and I'm like okay that's fine but like I didn't make this for you, you what do you want me to say <laughs> like <laughs> I mean I made this because I like her so um so that was a that was one of those things that I had to learn early on in the you know cosplay community. Like people aren't always gonna like what you make, but you know it doesn't matter. Just make what you want to make and screw them if that's how they want to interact with you. But yeah, that she was definitely the catalyst for all of the chaos of making Star Wars stuff for me. I will definitely say that. <laughs> and so what did you? So that that specific kit has the black ABS with that really cool almost hints of Death Star Gunner helmet mm -hmm. and I know that the two of them get oftentimes can you know miss uh, misidentified I think yeah but there was that that simple little you know I you know the visor and and it had the you know it almost had the your classic imperial buttons on the front right if that's mm -hmm. if that's what it is yep. so mm -hmm. you have this this chest box this helmet what was your process for building that did you you know did you buy a kit did someone have a kit did you model it what did you how did you end up making that from the ground up so I actually made two different versions the very first version that I made was actually out of EVA foam and I I 
feel really bad that I can't remember the name of the maker, but someone made a Peppercura file of it, of the front box and the back box, and they made Peppercura files for it, and I transferred, I, I have a way of being able to transfer those type of files and make them into foam templates, and I made it all out of EVA foam. Um, I remember priming it and like shellacking it in a way so that it would be like super glossy and all that stuff. Right. Um, I modified some some of those batons off of Amazon. Like you can just, you can buy the things that those, you know, airplane people have. I bought those right. and modified them a little bit. And the helmet, that was another story, but I had bought that from a maker and it didn't necessarily work out all that well. Um, but it got the job done for the time. Sure. And so that, that entire first build of the armor was all EVA foam. I sewed the flight suit myself. I'm looking at it. I, I have a picture of Felicity Jones over here. I'm looking at it right now to like make sure I have everything. And so I had done all of that in 2017. And then when Star Wars Celebration came around, I really wanted to remake it because that, like I said, that was kind of like my catalyst for Star Wars. And I still had wanted to make one that was more screen accurate, I guess you could say. Sure. And then I bought an ABS kit from 850 Armor Works. And it. it was actually one of their like prototype kits um, initially. They, they gave me a good deal on it to provide them feedback and to give them like um, work in progress stuff. But that was the second one. It was ABS plastic. And then that the second helmet was also something <laughs> that was another adventure. I I still to this day don't know if there's a maker that's actually making that helmet consistently well. I, I could be wrong. Like I don't wanna I'd like, you know, paint anything in a bad light, but I ever since I stopped looking in twenty nineteen, that was like that was the thing about the costume that so many cosplayers were having a problem with was that helmet. Right. But the one that I got, it ended up, I, I ended up like, it was a Bondo mess, and I got it ready for a Star Wars celebration, so it ended up working out in the in the end, but yeah, that, that helmet. <laughs> sure, Oof. that makes sense. So for people who are, are listening for the first time, and we have a lot of people who were hoping get inspired to start costuming uh, from this podcast, you know, Pepakura is, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's essentially a flat template that can be folded. It's designed for paper, right? I mm -hmm. think that's correct. the original yep. intention of it. So it's yeah. basically, think, how could you, yeah, you could probably explain it better than I can, Robin. Go, Pepakura <laughs> is, is a flat file that's designed to be folded and uh, mm -hmm. made to look 3D. It yeah, it's um, so the actual way that you're supposed to use it is, like you said, you print it out and you kind of use a thicker cardstock to kind of fold it in certain ways so that it'll become a 3D object. And once you have it as a 3D object, as a paper craft model, you're supposed to kind of put um, resin, um, resin and fiberglass on top of it to make it a hard shell of itself. And you can then take that hard shell of itself and then you'll have a helmet. But um, the way that I do it, I don't trust myself with fiberglass resin. Um, so I just take the Peppercura files. There's a way to um, adjust the settings in the actual program itself so that it will account for the, um, what's it called? The thickness of the foam that you're working with. And then you can basically turn it out to be, you know, just foam templates for you. And it's, it's actually not that bad. I remember I Googled a, or I YouTubed a video on how to do it and it was pretty simple but hmm. there there's multiple ways to go about using peppercura files but yeah they're definitely I'm, nice i'm learning so much about this in terms of you know just <laughs> I, I love as a, a 2d designer it's interesting when i see something like peppercura because i've right. seen some people do incredible stuff with it um and and i think it's also important to note too the official clubs usually will mm -hmm. not allow 
for Pepecura just because the finishing that goes into it is very difficult. And so usually it's something like fiberglass or ABS is usually your same thing. So there there are, I think Pepecura has its space in the costuming community to be for hobbyists and to be people who really want to go or, or people who want to start off with something more affordable just to see how things right. fit and then build it up from there. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then going back to when you said Bondo and Bondoing mess, and I think that's a big thing that people <laughs> go, what the heck is Bondo? Because if you've never worked on a car before, you don't know what Bondo <laughs> is. And Bondo is a, for people who are listening, going, man, I'm writing these notes down of what the heck this stuff is. <laughs> Bondo is essentially a fiberglass or a filler that gets has a two-part epoxy. You mix it up, and it gets hard. And a lot of people use it for dents, dings, helmets. Uh, it's, it's a way to fill in gaps. If you have any cracks or anything in your helmet, it's a good way to do that. And then you have to, of course, prime it, paint yep. on top of it, all that stuff. And like you said, Robin, what's been your experience with getting – uh, are you were that helmet specifically that you bondoed was ABS and you bondoed it? Um, the second one was a resin cast and okay. it was just very, it was very thin. And I know that trying to cast resin helmets is very difficult. So yep. it, it just was very thin in certain spots. So I had to reinforce it on the inside. And, sure. um, the way that the ear caps, I mean, if you see a photo of that, it, it, it's a very weird helmet like it's just a very weird way to get it on and off and in the in the movie they took the actual jaw off and all it was so much stuff so right i commend anyone trying to make that helmet or try to 3d model it because it's just for some reason it's one of those elusive things but sure there's a there's a lot of bondo there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of resin um epoxy on that helmet but yeah you you make it work (laughs) and in the bondo especially when you get people who have you know pretty much almost every resin cast at least that i have seen in some regards unless it is by someone who does a very damn good job at resin at at resin helmets almost all of them need to be bondoed if they actually are supposed to have um, a finish just because the process of resin is essentially the resin is is curing while it's being aggregated and it's being spun around mm-hmm. and it it just you know it's a it's a mixture that has properties that need it to to harden up and it's a very goofy process um and so most helmets do need to be fixed up and they need to be tightened up with bondo yep. and so that becomes a thing in the costuming community where you go okay you know, ABS is smooth, it's vacuum formed, it goes down over the top, and seldom do you ever get any issues with it, but but you don't get those sharp details. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's so that's a big that's a big thing. The the one thing too that I, I love about that helmet is that it has the little dots, the dimples in it. Yeah, like, it's like a bowling ball on the top. Yeah, right. I, I was going to say like Agent Callus from Rebels. That too, yeah. But but the bowling ball is fine. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I love that. Well, so Robin, let's get a little bit further into into what it is that you do because I I, I absolutely love following along with your YouTube channel and I love that you, the way that you handle your humor and you you are truly one of the most entertaining accounts that I follow in regards to costuming. Um, and I would love to learn a little bit more about kind of your setup too, because I think as we eventually get more into nitty gritty on this show, 
I think people want to really know what would I need to get started? Are there tools right now? Like what you, you're, you're a 3d printer, you've done commissions for helmets. So you, you will print them from the ground up. So what is your current setup in regards to, you know, the tools that you use to get the results that you get? Um, so in terms of the 3d printers that I have, I have two 3d printers. I've got a Creality, well, I've got two Creality CR10 S's, which are, I think that they're, they're not the base model of the Creality CR10, but they're like one step up. And I find that they work just fine for, you know, hobbyist prop makers, um, because the way that I see making helmets or helmets or props or even armor from 3D printing is I print them at the lowest setting on like quality, because you're going to be putting so much stuff on top of those. Like, again, like we talked earlier, you're going to be putting Bondo on them. You're going to be filler primering them. So I'm not as worried about, like, say, the highest quality of a 3D print. And that kind of shows in my YouTube videos and my, like, Instagram and stuff. Um, I am not opposed to taking a print that failed in some way and putting a ton of Bondo on it to fix it up because I don't want to waste the print and I don't want to waste the time that, you know, sitting on the printer. But I've got, yeah, like I said, I've got those two 3D printers. Um, my husband has a resin 3D printer that I'll occasionally use for like smaller details, but he's the one that puts stuff on that. I don't really know much about it. I just tell him like, hey, I need this printed. Can you do it? And he does all his magic. And because that's a whole, that's a whole other world, the resin 3D printers. And I'm just not ready for that. I'm just not, <laughs> I don't want to get into that whole thing. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I've got. Uh, in terms of like 3D printing, that's what I've got going on. I have, I have a nice little setup in my basement where it's just like on a, like a wire rack kind of thing. And it just, it's in the little basement and it'll like kind of chug out. It's already working on some Bo-Katan pieces for me to print out that I was missing. Um, but yeah, other than that, I've got, you know, I've got a little space in our garage to, you know, get sanding done and kind of contain all of the Bondo mess within our garage. So I've got that. I've got a palm sander. I've got a, what do they call it? Belt sander. Yep. Yeah. I've got a belt sander and, um, I'm trying to think of what else I have for other than just like hand sanding, like it's just a lot of sandpaper, <laughs> a lot of sandpaper, a lot of filler primer. Like that's the sad reality of it. Sure. Just so if you <laughs> and I think as people understand, you know, there, there is a bit of a misconception that you buy a 3D printer and you go, oh, well, sure, I'm going to spend 300 bucks and I'm going to be making armor. It, 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 see, it seems like that. It seems mm -hmm. like some people make it that easy. But the truth is, is that there are different kinds of filaments that people can use. Um, some of them are more toxic than others. Some of them are more durable. And and all the, mach the machine has to acclimate to your climate. There is humidity. There is temperature. Mm -hmm. There's all this stuff that really goes into making it so that you truly do have to fine-tune it to have it do what you want because 3D printers are – they're still largely consumer based. You know, this is something, you know, nothing that's going to be four or $500 is going to be perfect right out of the box. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so what have you learned, you know, if you're giving one to two tips of someone who's acquiring or thinking about getting a 3D printer, um, what are, you know, two or three things maybe that you can 
that you've learned maybe the hard way <laughs> or something that you're still working with? Because I feel like even people that I know who are experienced 3D printers tell me almost every other time, yeah, I hate this thing. And then there's next yeah. days where they go, I love this. It's the greatest yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, that would be my first thing is just get get comfortable with the fact that your printer is just not going to do things some days it's like it's like a regular paper printer where some days it'll work flawlessly and then other days it's like what is going on like i started to print out some more bokatan armor today and i haven't printed anything on it for about three three weeks three or four weeks and there wasn't really a reason i wasn't printing anything other than i just i don't like to be that person that's always printing stuff for no reason um but I started up the printer and it was perfectly fine. I thought I was going to have to sit there and tune it for, you know, 20 minutes, but it just, it went off and it did its thing. And there have been times where I, you know, take a print off the bed and immediately start a second one. And that second one is just like, it, it doesn't work. I'm mm -hmm. just like, well, what, what happened? Like, I don't mm -hmm. understand. So I think <laughs> as long as if you're going to get a 3d printer, you have to be comfortable with the fact that it's going to fail um, you have to be comfortable with being able to, you know, Google things and just kind of you, you almost have to be a little bit of a tinkerer in a sense. Sure. Um, that's kind of that's why I like it. I like the I don't like whenever my 3D printer doesn't work, but there is some fun and some kind of I don't want to I don't know, like adventurousness to trying to like tinker with your machine and try to figure out what's right or what's wrong with it. And then once you get it, once you get it fixed, it, you just feel like on top of the world. But yeah, right. I, I definitely recommend it to people that are tinkerers and things like that. And the other, another thing I would say is if you're, if you're someone who wants to get into making, I, like I never, I never say that people need to get a 3d printer to cosplay. Cause you absolutely sure. do not need to have a 3d printer, but it is one of those things that if you're the type of person that likes to buy raw 3D prints from people often, you know, like people, people, you know, they'll, I, I remember I typically charged about 90 to a hundred dollars for a Bo-Katan helmet, like a raw print. And if you think about it, a 3D printer, the ones that I have are about 300, $350. And if you print, if you buy a printer and you print out four helmets, you've, basically broken even at that point mm -hmm. so i like to kind of frame it in that mind of people i know a lot of people probably still think that 3d printing is expensive and it's gotten way cheaper over the years it sure. even whenever i first started in 2016 it was so expensive like i remember the machines were like a grand fifteen hundred dollars and now we've got hobbyist machines that are perfectly fine for getting cosplay and stuff out the door and i know a lot of people that use those as their print farm printers so um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a lot of maintenance to have a, have a machine, but as long as you're willing to know that, you know, you, you might wake up with a failure one day and you don't know why and just kind of move on from it, then I think you'll be fine. It's, it's been an adventure. I will say that for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I think for people who are getting into, who are getting into printing and I was one of them, I, I have a, I have a, a 3d printer myself and I, I don't mm -hmm. print that often on it, but the the process of and it's interesting to hear that you print on the the lower setting. I think that's mm -hmm. interesting. Um, the the prints will have if you've seen a raw three D print before, they have these striation marks of where the layers had gone up. And yep. traditionally, what people have done with three D prints is they either sand the hell out of them, mm -hmm. and they knock them down so that they're more smooth. Or something as of later is people are actually coating them in resin. 
yep. and <laughs> letting them cure so that you get a really smooth surface. So there, it is a little bit, it is a little bit, I don't want to say a bit of a misconception that, you know, print, paint it, you're good. There's a lot more prep work that goes into it. And then right. from there, it's like, okay, well, if we're using resin to coat these, okay, well, I have to buy resin now. I have to buy the paintbrushes. Or you're mm -hmm. going, I need a, like you're saying, I need a place to sand. I need a place to bondo. And so it kind yeah. of turns into like, okay, so there really is no, no, <laughs> no costume really comes easy. Uh, and, yeah. and, and at the end of the day, it's a very expensive hobby. But I, I think it also makes it makes it important to to say that there are you know resin resin helmets if you were to buy them are they're strong yep. some of them mm -hmm. you get lucky and some of them are really smooth and all you need is to prime them and and paint them yeah uh, so so in that way you're like oh why would you ever buy a 3D print but then you go <laughs> then you're bondoing these resin helmets and they cost way more. So I'm going back to the 3D print. So I, I totally, I think with everyone who's done costuming, we've all seen the perks and the drawbacks from almost every single style of right. of way that you produce armor. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's one of those things like 3D printing my helmets with the FDM printing. I It does take a lot longer because obviously, like you said, you've got to sand it down. But for me, sanding is, I, I don't mind sanding. Like there will come a time when I'm, tired of sanding something but for the most part that sanding time is like my me time and i can sure. put like a podcast on or i could put a you know uh, audiobook on and just go away because it's like one of those it's kind of like meditative in a way to me but there's some people out there that don't like that and that's totally fine and it, right. it's like you know invest in a resin printer or just invest in resin prints or you know do something like foam work or something like that it's there, there's so many different ways to make a costume it's like no one way is better than the other right but. and then do you have so you know for specifics because i know some people are going to ask um you usually what do you start with you start with like an 80 grit sandpaper and just go at it on on a raw 3d print is that your, your you know 80 grit 120 which are pretty coarse or what's your mm -hmm. your process for getting a print to start acting so oh, I actually, I actually have like multiple ways that I'll go about things. But my the most recent one that I've been doing is what you were talking about before. It's I take the actual resin that people use in resin 3D printers, and I will take a foam brush and just kind of paint a coat of it onto a helmet. And I have this special UV chamber that I made out of a cardboard box and UV lights. And I'll put the helmet inside of that for about 15 minutes. After that, it's essentially cured, and I will take like isopropyl alcohol, spritz a little bit of that on it to kind of um, wipe away any of the resin that didn't cure. And then, then that's when I will start going in with about 120 grit sandpaper and start going over it with like my mouse sander and just kind of going at it like 120 to 150, and then kind of going from there. And it's not really an exact science that I have for it, but. I will it do works. that. I'll do like a pat. Yeah, I'll do a pass of that. I'll hit it with primer, not because I'm not necessarily like I mostly hit. I mostly hit it with primer because I'm not sure where I missed uh, sanding. Sure, <laughs> that'll sure. that'll usually call it out. But yeah. the the resin method has been working really well because it's almost like a best of both worlds for me because right. I I still get to have the cheapness of the FDM printer and then I can use the resin to make it, you know, smoother really quick and even it'll reinforce it a lot better. So I've been liking it. Um, yeah, 
But other than that, I'll usually use Bondo, but that's like a whole, that's so messy now. I'm like, I don't know how I used to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, and I think, uh, it, it, I think we are truly seeing kind of as, as resin printers are getting more and more available, I think they're going to become more available mm-hmm. like 3D printers did. And right now the biggest drawback for the resin printers is that the, the consumer sized bed size is still just a little bit too small. I don't think you can print a whole helmet yet. There are some, I think actually funny that you said that 850 Armor Works does have a full size resin printer. Uh, oh. and, and that thing's, it's freaking huge. I mean, you're talking like it, it's, it's like eight, it's like eight by 10. It looks like a, I wonder how like much booth. resin that eats. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, I would love to have those guys on the show actually, and just ask them more about it. But you're talking yeah. about a significant investment. If you don't have, right. you know, $20,000 to spend on a resin printer that you can essentially walk into, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So I think the consumer level, they're not there yet, but I, I have a, you know, I'm sure if I listen to this podcast in three years, I'll be like, what was I talking about? Yeah, uh, but that, I know. It, it's qu- it's crazy how quickly it, it works. Yeah. And then so from going from there, so once you have your, your print, it's been coated in resin, it's been cured. And the other thing is that, so did you, your, that, that little booth that you made that's up on your YouTube channel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Because we're definitely going to have to, I'm going to have to share that because I think that's so cool. And it's not unlike, it. it the thing that I love about hobbying and and making things is that you know making a <laughs> making a uv booth out of a cardboard box reminds me of curing screen print uh screen print silk screens to mm-hmm. print shirts on them and it's just you you look back on it you think in so many ways all this technology is incredible but right and it's also like at the end of the day it's like there's only so many chemicals that work and yeah. there you go. So it, it's <laughs> it's very funny in that in that regard. Um, so let me ask you too, Robin. So once you have once you're happy with at least for the the helmet, it's got resin on it. Then are you like, you know, prime? Let's talk primering. Let's talk. Do you filler primer, which adds the you know kind of fills in some of the really fine scratches? Are you a filler primer person, or are you like? I'd rather do it. I'd rather sand it and make sure it's smooth before I do filler primer. Like, what is your pre-finishing process in in regards to your your buckets? So I do a combination. I I will do the layer. I will do like the first pass in like one twenty to one fifty grit, and then I'll do a spray of filler primer, and then from there I will try. I will go up higher grits. I'll go to like three hundred to about. 350 I can't remember what the what the one is that I have on my palm sander and then after that once I'm done with that I'll hit it with filler primer again and at that point it's whenever I start to kind of look at it I'm like okay I don't think I can get this any smoother without wet sanding it which is something that I actually recently started to do because I was one of those people and people are gonna hate me for this but I was like I don't understand why wet sanding is such a big deal why are people wet sanding stuff like I just don't get it and then I did it on one of my helmets and I was like why am I not doing this it works it works so well I know it really does and it doesn't in my brain for some reason I was like I don't want to put this underwater that's gonna mess everything up right but yeah ever since I did that it has made such a difference I'll I'll once I get up to about 400 grit, um, then I'll start wet sanding it like with 800 to 1000 to 1500. And usually 1500 is whenever I quit because it's most of the time the helmets I'm making are super weathered anyway. So I don't need them to be super shiny. Like I I would probably go crazy for my Mando helmet whenever I finish that. But 
Yeah, that, it, it's a lot of it's a mix of doing filler primer and then eventually getting to wet sanding. And speaking of wet sanding, I've seen people wet sand Bondo, which I have never tried, but I want to try. <laughs> uh, I've done it. Um, it yeah, it's I mean it's the 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 process is the same. And if you're wondering what wet sanding is, um, it essentially is the you know using water to act as a lubricant to really get a really fine smooth shine and that's traditionally with a higher grit so you know you're if you're if you're wondering about sandpaper it you know traditionally can start from 60 80 120 are your you know that's if you really want to take the top off something that's if you really want to burn it down and then you can go up to 400 to 600 which is a much finer grit you wet sand it and it gives you a, just a much more polished look. It actually serves as the lubricant and it gets a really uniform shine. You don't get the streaks of, of mm -hmm. your higher, your lower grit sandpapers. Um, and it's, and, and the other thing too, have you had any experience? And I want to ask you about this where you do, you know, originally in, in cars, right? So, you know, we're talking Bondo, we're talking this what way, it's so, actually uh, for. Right, right. <laughs> You can do up to, you know, 2,000, 3,000, but the problem is, is that it makes the surface so fine that it kills the adhesion. Oh. And so you can, so I've, I've sanded with something with a thousand grit and I can't get stuff to stick to it for probably a number of reasons, but because it makes the surface too fine versus you need a little bit of tack. Like yeah. For the primer to settle and and sit on. So I've I've found that personally in my life, and I'm sure someone in the comments is going to be like, "Oh, this is why you did." And, and, and I'm I'm here for it. I'm ready to listen. Yeah, um, I was but, just about to say, like I, you know, I've had that experience with some of my Bocatan helmets where the gray, like I would put gray on the front of it for her allies, and whenever I would do the masking, that it would pull it up. So I wonder if that was part of the problem. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, well, we, hey, we could armor party getting down now to the I, bottom. Now of it, I know. Right? Yeah, yeah, but I, I know that there's been a lot of people, at least the more experienced prop builders, and and who I've talked to, especially when it comes down to this Dinjarin helmet, because the the requirement has to be so smooth, it has to have such a flat layer to it, um, and and so you know, so so you get to sanding and all that, but but. Are you are you a uh, are you a, a brand person in regards to you know what works for you? Are you like uh, you know Duplicolor, never Rust-Oleum? I only use Krylon. What do you? What are your your paints that you use? I remember we talked about this last time. Um, I have become a Montana Gold snob, um, mostly because one, whenever I look at it compared to other brands, it is fairly the same price for way better quality. And right. two, I know you understand this. I live in the north and mm -hmm. it gets cold here mm -hmm. and any kind of advantage I can have with using spray paint in the cold is I will pay. I will pay whatever I have to pay. I used those Montana gold colors for all the Bo-Katan helmets that I painted in like the dead of winter and everything was fine. Like I didn't <laughs> have to spray paint in my house. Yep. Like, thankfully, like I was in my garage and all that stuff and I didn't get any orange peel or anything like that. And I, I will pay like million times over just to not have to deal with that. And and the other upside is that they dry so quickly. They dry right. like getting all those layers onto, you know, a Bo Katan helmet. I, I keep saying that I found a broken record, but it I could I could theoretically paint one of those in a day if I, you know, sat down and 
got down to it just with how quickly they they you know um dry and all that stuff but sure i've used other stuff but mostly out of color matching and not necessarily wanting to um but yeah i if i can find it in montana gold i will go montana gold all the way <laughs> sure and montana gold is you know i want to say that they've got like 160 different colors it's a uh, graffiti street art paint that's where the original uh fast drying matte finish they don't make a they don't make a, a glossy version of it yet i think that might be a different line i think that's montana yeah black or something i can't remember it's something um, like that yeah but they have but their colors are incredible and what they've found is that if, you know, the colors that you have, the the big difference is, we, and we think we had isolated them, speaking of Rogue One, that the shore troopers were painted in Montana gold Sahara beige. Yep. <laughs> and so then, okay, so here's what's happening. Now we have these colors. Now Montana is, lar I think they're available all over the world. But what is really fun, especially when we get down to replicating screen used or screen used armor or something close to productions, Rogue One was largely overseas. And so there were colors that were available from your auto stores that are not available here in the United States. And so yeah. speaking of Bo Katan, then the production moved back here in the States for The Mandalorian. And so now it's going, okay, well, if we don't want to airbrush all this armor, we can use Montana gold. And so the groups really like to chew this stuff up and they really yeah. like to try to figure out, you know, what, what's this? What color is this? What color is this? Um, they, you know, we believe that some of the colors on the Mandalorian were Montana gold. Um, we, we have kind of isolated some of the colors for Bo-Katan and some of these other characters with some of these paints. So it's really cool that you're able to look into the prop world a little bit and say, yeah. you know, if mm -hmm. everything isn't airbrushed, uh, at least we have something that I can just buy off the shelf and make it a little bit easier for myself. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when it comes down to painting for you, it's like you, you have a setup in your garage, right? You have a, mm -hmm. like a, basically a, t tell me about that. Um, it's, <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's just, so we had a, whenever we, whenever we moved in, we had like a workbench in our garage on the, like the right side of it. It's pretty small. Um, but I have all of my, you know, cosplay stuff over there. And for the winter, we put up just a fitted sheet that we had. We just nailed the fitted sheet into the ceiling and kind of had it all wrapped around my desk. And it wasn't completely foolproof. Like, it still got Bondo out on my car, but at least it got onto my car and not my husband's car, which was, <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> that was the main reason was to keep the Bondo contained within there. Um, it. But it, it worked out pretty well, and I I finally got, like, a Lazy Susan so that I could actually, you know, turn the helmet while I was working on it. And I still, to this day, put my helmets on top of a – it's like a – it's a bottle of – a gallon of wood glue that I bought, like, the first year I was cosplaying because you can use wood glue to prime foam and stuff. And I just put my helmets on top of the, the bottle of wood glue and just spin it around and paint them. So it's it's – a little jerry-rigged but it works so it sounds <laughs> maybe like one a true, day it sounds like a true cosplayer if you ask yeah, me yeah it, it works it, it keeps everything off of there you know but it, the, <laughs> there i have definitely been one of those people that has spray painted in their basement and i this is a side note um but i i don't really have a sense of smell anymore because not because of cosplay or anything or covid or anything like that but <laughs> i um i i take a medication for um allergies and it okay. basically one of the side effects is it gets rid of your sense of smell so i 
will frequently, I, I would frequently spray paint in my basement because I don't smell anything. It's fine. And my husband would come home and be like, why does it smell like spray paint down here? It's like, I know what you did. So You can't the, hide the, this one. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't smell this. But, <laughs> but yeah, so we, we, we put that out there in the garage for that. So it, it's been working out a lot better. And I, the, the mental thing is like, I get into the zone with something and I'll just want to like, just spray painted in the house because it's warm in the house and right I've, right i've gotten past that I, yeah you know, i go out to the garage and do it like a good person so don't listen to me don't spray paint in your house like there don't you go do that. right <laughs> and and i and too because you you are in the the northern part of the of the country and we have mm -hmm. talked about this but you know the the process of paints in yeah. unideal you know so every every cause player costumer that is living north of like Tennessee is like in the summer going I got to paint as much stuff as I yep. can because it cures according to the time that's on the back of the can because what what people don't really understand is that there's two things you fight humidity is quite literally vapor in the air that will make your paint a little bit spongy and it means that it takes a little bit longer for your stuff to cure if you right. are in cold weather, it also can take two to three times the amount of time to cure. And that's really, really important when you have your 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 primer layer. That right. you know, the, yeah. the most important part can take so long. And if and if you know, and, and and I think too, a lot of people in the Midwest, their garages are uninsulated. And you could either set up a little space heater out there, which, you know, the fire marshal will tell you that's not safe either because you're also using <laughs> inhalants and alcohol-based yeah. paints and all that stuff. So I, I think it's interesting to, to to kind of understand that, you know, yeah, different parts of the country, there's a reason why the prop houses are in L.A. Yeah, There's consistent exactly. weather, right? It, it works. They know how to they know how to get it done. Everything's fine-tuned. It doesn't change that much. So have you – are you uh, strictly rattle can, uh, Robin, or are you have you ventured in airbrushing or – what is your paint setup? So for the most part, I am mostly rattle can just because it's easier. I do have sure. an airbrush and the problem with the airbrush is that it gets clogged all the time. I swear, every time I want to use it, it's clogged. I was trying to use it for something last week and it just, it didn't work. So I had to use all of the paint that I poured into the airbrush and just paint it on with the brush. Um, so whenever it works, I love it, but it, I swear it's constantly clogged, but yeah. <laughs> What so what kind like, of airbrush is it? Um, it's in it's not in a it's in a water neo I think. Okay. I can't remember exactly. Okay. My, I, my husband has a fancier one that I don't want to mess with because it's for like detail work. Got but it. The yeah, a water neo I think. But yeah, okay. So it's I think I think that's on the like, I think that's on the the more affordable side. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe that's why you're having yeah, issues it's like, with it. Yeah, it's like it has a larger spray area which is what yeah. i wanted it for so yeah. uh, but i swear I, I just have bad luck with airbrush airbrushes in general <laughs> robin clearly it's working for you so i'd say don't change anything up um so i want to ask you this too because i'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening and they're saying yeah i'm i'm really into i'm really into to costuming and you know our first guest that we had on john rodriguez is is launching his he just he's going to review armors he's going to review mm. products that he gets and buys and purchases and cool. you've been running a really like i said it's one of the it's one of my favorite youtube channels to watch because you're not afraid to pull back the curtain and say yeah stuff 
goes wrong. Yeah. You screw stuff up. This is either how you save it or this is when you know to throw in the towel and say, let's start over. So what has what was that process like of you going, I want to start a YouTube channel? Because what people also don't realize is it's not just taking your phone and clicking record. There's a lot that goes into it. You have to build a community off of it. You have to mm-hmm. edit it, make sure that it's entertaining. What was that process like for you to take Vault Fox to YouTube? So the the whole YouTube thing definitely started at the beginning of last year, whenever we are all, you know, quarantined inside. And I was, you know, I I work from home. I, I've been working from home for years before this all happened. So it wasn't necessarily the whole switch to that. But I was finding myself having a hard time separating work from, you know, play. Like, because for me, cosplay was, you know, my fun time. But right. I could, in the, uh, you know, it just didn't feel like I could separate it very well. So. Sure. For me to have um, something else to do instead of just taking work in progress photos that I would post on Instagram and write like a little caption, I thought mm-hmm. it would be interesting to, you know, make a video about how I met, made something because I can put in a work in progress photo, oh, this like this, this absolutely was a like a mess to bake. And you don't really get the whole picture. Like you can, right. you know, I could, I could have just wrote that to be like hashtag relatable or something like that. But no, it's like, I can't think of a project or a costume that I've made that didn't have at least one thing that didn't go to plan or didn't go right or that I had to remake. And a lot of the channels that I follow on YouTube, like makers and things like that, they're they're trying to get across a tutorial. They want you to know how exactly to make it from beginning to end. And those are those are perfectly fine. I, I appreciate those. I have used so many of those in the past. But I I, I think it's somewhat I, I always appreciated whenever those same makers would either like post on Twitter or post a post a like a video saying like, hey, this thing that I made for a tutorial for you guys, it actually did not go like how I thought it was going to be. And it's just so many of us are trying to make things from, you know, video games, from movies, from all these other things that are not theoretically supposed to be made in the real world and they're right. not supposed to be they're not supposed to be like reliable like a lot of the earlier stuff from Star Wars was meant to be one and done you know it was supposed to just last for a shoot and then that's all and here we are making things that are supposed to last for an entire convention day and it's just it's important to remember like I've said in a video before a lot of people that are also doing this as a hobby may have some type of a, you know, professional background in knowing how to do things. Right. Like I, I, I don't want to say that I'm a professional or anything like that, but I have a, like, I have an artistic upbringing. I've always drawn. I've always done certain things like that. I've done video editing in the past. So this kind of stuff comes naturally to me. Sure. Um, but there's so many people within the cosplay space. And I just, I, I think it's important to remember that a lot of us are just doing this for fun. <laughs> like, If you get frustrated that your, like, your blaster isn't coming out right, that's okay to be frustrated about that. But you have to sometimes take a step back and be like, the world is not going to end because I didn't get this done today, especially in this, you know, this time that we're in right now. Like it's, it's allowed me a lot of freedom to be like, okay, if I don't get this done today, it's not the end of the world. I don't have a convention tomorrow or anything like that. But uh, I don't know. I've always just appreciated when people are honest about 
how much they struggled with something. I I, I don't know. It, it just comes across more genuine to me than people that try to their whole brand is like I'm so great at what I do and I don't know that's just how I've always been like <laughs> sure and I think in the in the tough part about that is you know if you're selling if you're strictly a commissioner you right. don't intentionally show where you screw up because you don't ever want to give your customers the idea that you don't know exactly what you're doing right and so I understand that. But then there also is something being, of course, like exactly to your point that most of us in this hobby are just that. We're hobbyists. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to, you know, to have that pride. It's just why I've resisted every urge I've had to just send my my armor to go get Beskard by one of the <laughs> – by three or four guys who have the, you know, who have the automotive paint set up. They've got the, you know – neutral gravity, whatever, the, the cleaning systems, they've, they, they, yeah. they've invested the time and money into doing it properly, but also because they're, this is part of their, their living, this is how they get their wages. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like just with everything, you have to go, okay, well, I'm not going to, you know, put in a, you know, a full on automotive paint booth because I'm building this armor once. Mm -hmm. And unless I'm doing this to make, you know, however many grand a year on doing these paint jobs, it's yeah, we're, we're hobbyists. So I think it's really cool. The, the other thing that I know that I wanted to ask you about, have you, is there a specific, you, you actually sewed your <laughs> flight suit for Jin Urso, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So like I said, in the beginning, in the opening, you do these things from the ground up. Robin, how the heck did you sew something from scratch? Because I got to know that before we, we round out. Uh, well, the the flight suit was pretty, I don't want to say simple, but I got a pattern from Joanne's. It was like a green pepper brand pattern of a just a generic flight suit. And I kind of just took it from there. I remember searching on the Facebook groups for like what people were using as a as a color, I remember the debate back in the day was, is it black? Is it charcoal gray? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to get black, whatever. I'm just going to. So I got black fabric. I got a cheap black fabric and used that pattern and just kind of altered it in a way. Like when you look at that, um, when you look at that, uh, oh my goodness, <laughs> when you look at that flight suit, sorry. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually fairly simple when you look at it. Um, to alter with the pattern that I had. The problem that I have, and I feel like a lot of people have whenever it comes to sewing, is the whole act of you have to sew things the opposite side. You have to kind of do it, you know, you don't just take your pieces and, you know, sew them right side out or whatever. So that was the, that was probably the hardest part for me. And I learned how to do it mostly by looking at pieces of clothing that I already had and just kind of seeing how they fit together. And I, I will say, if you want to sew something and it's your first time, just make sure you make friends with a seam ripper because a lot of stuff that I had on that first <laughs> flight suit was seam ripped to, to all hell. Like, I mean, it was just, it was an adventure to make that, but I'm really glad that I did because once I, once I learned how to make that flight suit, I've made loads of other flight suits. I've made one for Harris and Dula. I've made another one for Jin and I'm going to be making one for Bo-Katan. And once you know how to learn, once you learn how to make a flight suit, you kind of know the basic gist of it. And also there was a lot of like YouTube tutorials thrown in there, but it, it's definitely different than making armor. I will, I will say that. <laughs> did you get, did uh, you get a specific type of uh, sewing machine for 
the heavier, you know, like usually I, th- I think I'm assuming it's probably like an eight ounce cotton or something a little bit heavier. I actually it, didn't use very heavy cotton for mine because I didn't. Okay. This was the first time that I made one. I didn't know the different types of fabric. And to be honest, I still don't really understand the different types of fabric. I just kind of go by like what feels good and what like will photograph good. And I think the first thing that I used was a very thin cotton. It was, I would not recommend using it, but sure. it ended up working out for my budget and as a way to practice. But it, the sewing machine I had was actually, my mom had a sewing machine that she bought and she just was like, I'm not using it. Here you go. So she's why I made all this crap. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it, yeah. So, so, and then, and I think, so, you know, that the boat, you're going to do the Bo-Katan flight suit, which I yep. assume is a thicker cotton, probably about an eight ounce or maybe a 10 ounce cotton. And then what are you yeah. going to do for the leather pieces on it? What are you going to do for the leather accents? I, okay. So I have like faux leather that I've had for years and it's actually black. It's actually black faux leather. So what I'm probably going to do is take the faux leather. I have a little bit of like cotton batting and then sandwich that underneath it make the little details that are on the front in the collar and stuff like that. And then I'm just going to paint it, paint it with leather paints brown. So that'll be what I'll do there whenever I get off my butt and do that. (laughs) Costume hacks right here with Vault Fox. You got to check that out. I'm not buying any more faux leather. (laughs) (laughs) And in the other costumes, just so people know, you you have a a Zori Bliss. Yes. You have Harrison Dula from Rebels. Yep. And then you've got a couple different versions of Jin or so. And yeah. then you also have, and then you've got, and then Bo-Katan, which I'm, I'm so excited to see your, your Bo-Katan because I, I completely, I love people who have done the animated version, but to see her in the Mandalorian was like oh. the biggest gasp, right? It I, just, I know. And, I gotta, I gotta get back on it. It was whenever I knew she was coming, I knew it was coming, but even still, right. it was just, it was amazing (laughs) yeah yeah to see that and how and how they translated it from animated to live action i thought was done like so so well right um which which gives me hope and for for a lot of the characters that of course with dave filoni's involvement he's going to try to to get as many of them in so i always appreciate you know people like shauna turpic and and i think ironhead studios did yes their armor yeah so um that that it's I, i hope we do get some more behind the scenes after season two as the dust has settled and we get more learning about the process of what went yeah. into that. Cause I think they did such a good job on those. So they really, um, did. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's so cool to see. And, and just the fact that they had like a story and, you know, they, they still fit within like the Mandalorian vibe and Boba's kit. They took, you know, the, the diamonds and oh. you know, it's, it, they did. They, they, he they looked really it. good too. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the <laughs> Boba fresh, that's what we called him after yeah. he got the, the paid job. Right. <laughs> Still want to know where he went to get all that, you know, fresh paint. That's I know. We'll the, see, that's right? The story what, I want to see. <laughs> right, right. That's what we were saying. Like people who made investments into painting well. Boba Fett put that on the slave one. Yeah. And he said, mm-hmm. "You never know. After the Sarlacc, I gotta put. I'm putting a, a paint kit on here because you never know yeah. what I'm gonna get into." <laughs> well, Robin, I, I can't thank you enough for for spending time with us and and doing this thing again. Uh, and and I'm I'm just a fan of your work, and so it's been always a a pleasure to connect with you and in. in and have jokes and laughs with you and just to tell you that I appreciate your work and and what you do for the costuming community as well. Um, uh, Let's, let's do a lightning round and see where it goes. You good with that? All right. Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) 
Okay. So, one costume that you haven't already built, regardless of cost, in the Star Wars universe, what would it be? It would still be a, stor- a short trooper. It would be a short trooper. And what's the reason for that? What was what was your reason for why you, you think those troopers are just awesome? I they're just different. I mean, like I like I had already I had built one almost to completion and then just decided to sell it and cuz I didn't have time to troop or anything. Sure. But I don't they're just so different. They're I don't know. And they get to all live on Scarif. It's awesome. Like why wouldn't you want to live on Scarif? But Right, true. Yeah. Well, it's rest in peace, uh, Scarif. It's no longer yeah, with other us. Than, yeah, that thing. But right, uh, but they, and it was cool to see him in the Mandalorian because they were actually yeah. the original Rogue One uh, mm-hmm. armors, which is really cool. And I think for people who like continuity, uh, you can definitely see that there were some parts that had been restored, and some parts they they dropped the camo, which is that little kind of skirt thing that is familiar yeah. from the Clone Wars. But it was really cool to see them again in in that episode in season two, and of course. With the leaks that are coming out for Andor, where yeah. I saw more shore troopers there, so I feel like if, as someone who has a shore trooper sitting in my garage, I feel like I might have to bust <laughs> out the Sahara beige paint and oh, get to work on it. it. So oh, memories, <laughs> right, right, right. So here's the other question: Chopper or K2SO as your oh. companion droid? Oh, I hate you. I'm um, pitting your costumes against each other: Hera oh. or Jin. Chopper oh, or K2SO? This is a tough one. Um, I'm gonna, I gotta go to K2SO. Rogue One's my number one. They're both good though. Like, I love Chopper. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I find that answer vague and unconvincing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We'll, we'll just go with that. <laughs> Would you rather have a blaster or a lightsaber, Robin? A blaster. Which blaster? The SR14R. Last time I told you that the only time the SR-14R was used was for a promotional photo that never made it onto the Death Star. There was a stormtrooper holding that. <laughs> and it turns out it did end up in the movie. When Dr. Oh. Avazon, when Dr. Avazon pulls the gun on Luke and Obi-Wan cuts his arm off, he's holding that oh, blaster. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Huh. We are learning we are learning things here on Armor Party. Isn't this great? Good thing we did this two times. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. I'm okay, Robin. <laughs> you get. You should. You should. You absolutely should. You get to live on one planet for the rest of your day. What is your pick? It's Scarif. <laughs> I feel like I knew that answer was coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's nice and beachy. Besides, when it gets blown up, it's very lovely. I hear it's, it's wonderful right. this time of year. It's on right. that planet, Robin, you get to pick one ship in the Star Wars universe to take you to and fro. Which ship do you pick? It's the U-wing course <laughs> we talked about this why do you love the u-wing it <laughs> i don't know it's just it it it's i mean obviously it's the newer ship in you know the con- continuity but they made it so that it fit in so well with the original trilogy like i would never like under i would never like think that it wouldn't have been there in the original trilogy if you know they, if you told me it was in there and I just missed it, I would believe you. But right, that's, and, and that's the, why I like the it. style of it, the design of it, the way that the the wings have the mechanism to spring forward, not all unlike your B wing rolling out, your right. X wing, S foils moving up. So I, I agree, it's it's a very cool, sleek design. Rogue One put so many things on display that we that we can't get out of our head, and I'm glad that for a movie that really is kind of 
a very small story in the in the overall scheme of Star Wars universe gave us some of the coolest stuff I think we've seen on screen. And I know that you can empathize right. with that because you clearly are one of a fan that you had to make four different versions of the main character. What's the what's yeah. the one what's the one costume that you haven't made for Jin or so? The Edu, the Edu version of her. Yes. And it's mostly a a money issue because I know I, I know all of the screen used parts of it. I know the stupid mask and every, I know everything on it that I need to get. It's going to be so much money, and I don't want to spend money. Right wait, what? Wait, 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 wait! Hang on, hang on. We're, you're talking to you're talking to a podcast about armor. What What are you talking about specifically? I got to know this. What are the screen use pieces? What, what you got to give us the details. So there, it's going to be pretty boring. But there's a a mask like the the mask that she has with like the tubing. I, yeah. I don't know like specific names of them right now, but I have them like on a Google Drive or something. Okay. But there's a specific like CPAP mask that you can get if you dye it. And there's a bunch of clips that she has on her outfit. The clips are like twelve dollars each. Whoa. And yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. And then um I'm trying to remember what else there was. Uh God. Edu, Edu, the, the Edu. The goggles. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So the Edu, for those who are kind of saying like what what are they talking about? Edu is it was the rainy planet where she realizes that her father is still alive and she has this like really bad at like it's kind of a poncho too, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. She's got that. What is that? Is that the same poncho that they used for the Mimban stormtroopers in Solo? Oh, it's a Russian flash. It's called a flash, I, I think. I don't know. It might hmm. have been. Hmm. Because I it's know that they used some stuff for. A lot of Rogue One stuff kind of translated into Solo, like for the Mud Troopers and all that stuff. Right. So I don't know. That's interesting. interesting. I'm not sure. Right, I haven't have actually, I haven't actually looked into the poncho itself. I've actually like looked into making one. So I'm not entirely sure. Interesting. Yeah, because the the Mimban Troopers, it has that. It has a poncho, and then it has the oversized hood to go over in hmm. real life over a, a military helmet. So you know, oh. you're, you're, yeah. So it, it's an oversized hood, and there's a shot of them and when they're in the trenches of Min Ban and Solo and one of them has the hood up. It's pretty cool. I might have to Google that after this. We're going to have to look it up. All right. Hey, Armor Party, yeah. get down to the bottom of it. Well, Robin, <laughs> thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk with us. And uh, I, I'm like I said, I'm just a fan of your work and I, I love following along with how you do costuming and, and what you do for the community in terms of being honest, being having fun with it, reminding people that we do this as a hobby because it's fun, not that we have to take ourselves too seriously. And mm -hmm. I think it's great. And I wish that we were more people that felt the same way that you do, but I know that I'm very, I'm very happy to be able to send people your way because they'd be in good hands once they get into the vault Fox channel. So Robin, where can people find <laughs> you on the interwebs? Well, thank you so much for all that. I appreciate that. Um, you can find me on, I'm on YouTube as Vault Fox. Um, I'm also on Instagram just as Vault Fox and uh, Twitter at Vault Fox with an underscore underneath it. But yeah, you can find me all there. You can comment, DM me. I'll be there. I might not <laughs> respond immediately, but I'll be there eventually. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Well, thank you again for being on. Are we going to see you at Star Wars Celebration 2022? I don't believe so, unfortunately, just because of the new dates that they put out. Sure. I was hoping to make it for August, but I don't know about May. Okay, sadly. so but local, local, regional cons around Pittsburgh area. I'm sure this summer, 
into yes. the fall as things start coming a little bit more normalized. We'll definitely see around there. Yeah, I'm I'm planning to go to Dragon Con in September okay. as long as everything's okay. That's the okay. one that I've got planned. But other than that, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> Dragon Con down in Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. Very cool. Well, Robin, thank you again for spending time with us on Armor Party. Do you have any last words? I rebel. That works. All right. Thanks, Robin. We see. <laughs> Cassian said I had to. And that is a wrap on this episode of Armor Party. We're going to be rolling out some incentives at our sister station of Thank the Maker. So please do join their Patreon at patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. If you're looking to connect with other costumers, uh, get access to the Discord, and enjoy even more Star Wars content. Find us and interact with us on Instagram at Armor Party Show. We love seeing builds. We love seeing new makers. We love connecting with other customers, progress shots, all that stuff. So tag us. Let us know if you're working on something awesome. Once again, I am your host, Mike Forster. Our incredible theme music and production is by the talented Alton James. Please do check him out. And always remember, being an adult is boring, but wearing armor is anything but. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> 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 <laughs>